included Caddyshack and Analyze This and the Gangland spoof starring Robert De Niro. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Yes, very good morning. Not to shove it down your uh, throat, but maybe stick it in your ear. This is Money for Nothing, and I'm Brian Curtis. Uh, HSBC misses on earnings. Its stock goes down 3% in London, but banker pay is looking pretty good. That's the sexy buzz this morning, but we'll cover a lot more. China banks tighten lending to the property sector. Former Fed Chairman Alan Greenspan says, yes, China is in a bubble, but he's not worried. And Mark Zuckerberg says WhatsApp is worth a lot Well, let's let you hear it. I actually just think that by itself, it's worth more than $19 billion. Okay, so he thinks that WhatsApp is worth more than $19 billion. We'll hear more on that in a minute. And Alan Greenspan wasn't only talking about China. I consider income inequality the most dangerous part of what's going on in the United States. We'll hear the comments from the former Fed chairman about China and income inequality in just a couple of minutes. Our featured topics this morning is China's real estate boom drawing to a close. Joining us to talk about price discounting at some sites in Shanghai is Andrew Sullivan of, of Maybank Kim Eng Securities. We'll also take a look at the recent crackdown on prostitution in the southern hub of Dongguan. Adam Minter, Shanghai correspondent for Bloomberg Worldview, will be along. And he'll clue us in on some of the unintended consequences. Uh, with that crackdown. And Francis Lun, Chief Executive Officer of Geosecurities, will be along to help us dissect HSBC and also uh, markets generally. Here's that Greenspan exchange with Bloomberg that I referred to on is China in a dangerous mode? Uh, is there a bubble in China, in your opinion? And do you think... There you- is, but there's a big difference in China. It's very comforting when you have in your pocket... trillion to do it as you want to solve your problems. So I'm not at the moment saying that China is about to go bust uh, unless the stuff they're holding, which are U.S. Treasuries, go bust. And by the way, the yield on the 10-year Treasury was little changed overnight. 2.74% is the current yield on the 10-year. Here's how Asian markets are moving. The Nikkei is up 171 at 15,008. And in Australia, the ASX 200 is up 11 points. That's a fifth of 1%. In Seoul, the Kospi is up about a half a percent. The dollar is trading at 102.54 yen. The dollar stronger, the yen weaker. The euro, 1.3732 U.S., and that is very scant change. Uh, in um, in those two. And the pound now at 12 Hong Kong dollars and 92 cents. Well, let's take a look at Wall Street and then we'll bring on uh, Francis Lin, our first guest this morning. Uh, on Wall Street, stocks were higher, taking the S&P 500 above its all-time high, only to fall back to just finish one point short. The S&P 500 uh, finished up at 1847. That was up 0.6%, and it was just off the 1848 high, so just one point under. It is flat, though, for the year. The Dow Jones Industrial Average added 103 points to 16,207. Still a lot of buzz over the Facebook purchase of WhatsApp for $19 billion. So I played that very short little clip. Here's more of the uh, full rendition and the CEO, Mark Zuckerberg. 
I actually just think that by itself it's worth more than $19 billion. I mean, it's, it's hard to exactly make that case today um, because they have so little revenue compared to that number. But, I mean, the reality is there are very few services that reach a billion people in the world. They're all incredibly valuable, much more valuable than that. So, I mean, there's and a they're chance... they're halfway there already. I yeah. could be wrong. I mean, it's like it, there is some chance that this is, you know, the one service that gets to um, a billion people and ends up not being that valuable. I don't think I am. Um, I, I, I th and, you know, you can look at other messaging apps that that are out there, you know, whether it's Kakao or Line or WeChat, that already are monetizing at a level of two to three dollars per person with pretty early efforts. And I think that that shows that if if we can do a pretty good job of helping um, WhatsApp to grow, that this is just going to be a huge business, right? So even just independently, um, I think it's it's quite a good bet. Um, now, then the question is, why were we excited to do this together? Um, so. I was excited, and, and, and Jan was, um, because of the Internet.org vision and helping to connect everyone in the world, which I think clearly we can do, and we get a lot of leverage from working together on that. And he elaborates here on that second part. Um, the other piece is that by being a part of Facebook, it, um, it makes it that they can focus for the next five years or so purely on connecting more people, right? If they did this as an independent company, um, they were going to have to focus at some point more on building out their business model, which of course they're going to do, and they already have um, seeds of that with their subscription model, which, um, which is very promising. But you know what Jan is more excited about, and, and frankly what I think is the bigger opportunity, is rather than focusing on that, for them to go out and connect one, two, three billion more people in the next, I mean, however long that's going to take. And if we can do that, then I just think we'll be well on our way to both um, realizing this vision of trying to connect everyone and um, on our way to, to helping to achieve the internet.org vision. So that's why he thinks that WhatsApp is so valuable. And he refers there to the WhatsApp founder, a co-founder, uh, Jan Kuhn. Investors are returning to American stocks after withdrawing some $36 billion from equity exchange-traded funds in the first six weeks. And that's why we see now um, markets uh, have bounced pretty nicely on Wall Street. Coming back from about a 7% drop down, uh, back up to now about even uh, for the year. Uh, Warren Buffett told investors to treat their equity holders like real estate purchases. He said that they should focus on the potential for profits over time rather than short-term price fluctuations. He cited a farm that he's owned since 1986 to caution individuals against frequent buying and selling of stocks. Back to Alan Greenspan. He says he's quite worried about U.S. income inequality. If you examine the issue of the various measures of income inequality with two independent variables. One is average hourly earnings and uh, the issue of stock prices. Mm -hmm. uh, that fairly well fits the rise that is going on, first the decline, then the rise uh, in inequality. And the issue is, do we want to prevent, do, do we want to knock stock prices down to get mm -hmm. inequality better? Now that's Alan Greenspan, the former Fed chair. And, uh, of course, uh, he's saying that if you want to increase the wages that people make, then you're probably going to hit stocks. Companies uh, will have um, lower earnings, thus the stock market will come down a bit, but uh, people will make more money. So uh, we'll get to a discussion of that a little bit uh, later on. And HSBC, yeah, we've got all these uh, clips to play for you. That's kind of oh-so-yesterday. So let's go to some analysis of 
of today with Francis Lun, CEO of Geo Securities. Francis, good morning. Yes, good morning. Yeah, we'll save the HSBC uh, in the middle of our chat. I'll play out some of the clips from uh, from yep. Stuart Gulliver mm-hmm. and that. Uh, overall, I, I, you've been a little negative of late. Uh, yeah. you, pr- you predicted the Hang Seng Index would go down uh, below 20,000, I believe. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, we haven't done that. We're kind yeah. of um, seem to be holding on to a little bit of strength. Now, how do you see things moving at the moment? Well, I think there's still a lot of danger ahead of us. I think yesterday we saw some of that. Uh, that is uh, when there's a rumor that the Chinese banks are going to uh, stop real estate lending. And then the market crashed 300 points. And, uh, 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 and, and, and there's a second piece of news in that for January, the average property prices, uh, in China rose, uh, 9.6%. But, uh, among 100 cities, there were 36 of them, uh, whose prices actually dropped. And this is really the first sign, uh, uh, in several years that property prices are, are dropping. And, uh, everybody knows there's a bubble in the, in Chinese pro- property market and uh, property prices are just waiting to crash. It's, okay. It, what you referred to as rumor actually turned out to be fact. Uh, according mm-hmm. to a stock exchange statement, ICBC, mm-hmm. uh, did temporarily tighten financing for real estate developers, but it said that it was until until it prepares a new set of credit policies. Uh, but irrespective of that, you're just quite negative on the real estate complex in China. Yeah, definitely. There is huge uh, uh, oversupply. I think uh, uh, there's one city, Guiyang in Guizhou, uh, where there is a population of only 5 million, and they build uh, properties, uh, 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 new buildings, in enough to house 9 million people. So uh, uh, the the population simply does not exist. I think it will take probably 100 years to fill those uh, properties up. So, uh, and if the property uh, uh, market crashes, and it will bring down a lot of other industries like banks, uh, steel, cement, and all these. So, well, to Mr. Greenspan's point, and it is made a lot. Uh, to be mm-hmm. fair, there's just a, an awful lot of surplus funds that China has piled up over the years. Yes, that it can move in. In a, in a way, it can move in to stanch the flow, the panic, the crisis, the fear, and all that. Yes, uh, they can. Actually, that's what they did in 2000 when they uh, 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 actually paid something like 50 billion uh, U.S. dollars to uh, 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 China Construction Bank to prop up the balance sheet and basically buy up all the bad loans and make them a uh, make CCB a healthy bank so that it can list in 2000. And, and I think worst comes to worst, that's what they will do. And, and you see this happen in two of those, uh, uh, trusts, uh, uh, products, uh, uh, that were financing coal mine purchases in Shanxi. And I think uh, the money involved was something like six billion, uh, uh, yuan. And, and, and actually, uh, those trust products actually missed their interest payment already. It's already in default. But somehow they managed to say, somebody, uh, uh, those are not bad loans. Well, 
uh, somebody will pay up sometime okay. in the future. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that with another guest later. Mm-hmm. So perhaps we can move on. When you look at China, you have so many moving parts. You've yes. got you know this exciting China internet area, and we saw yeah, that's right. we saw Cena come out with its uh, earnings, which were very good. Net income mm-hmm. forty five million dollars from two two point three million uh, a year earlier. That's pretty strong. You've got kind of a burgeoning consumer uh, uh, spending uh, sector. That's right. Which finds its way, I mean, it's kind of crystallized a lot in how the Internet companies are doing. Yeah, that's right. I think uh, the Internet uh, is taking over basically the consumption area of, of uh, Chinese consumers. E-commerce. Yeah, uh, the e-commerce. And, and, and actually, uh, uh, Bell uh, is, uh, uh, said yesterday that, that the, uh, the e-commerce is actually taking sales away from their retail stores. So they did a tie-up with Tencent. Yeah, and, and, and if you carry that into a logical conclusion, you will see all these malls going empty because everybody will be shopping at home and nobody will go out and do shopping. And that is a terrible scenario for property developers. Who's going to walk the malls? It's so <laughs> happening in Hong Kong as well, isn't it? But maybe not to the same degree as China. No, well, uh, Hong Kong has just too many people in the malls. I think uh, you have uh, uh, 10 million mainland shoppers walking the streets of uh, Hong Kong in the Causeway, Beijing, Sanjay, Hong Kong. There are just too many people. So many okay. people chose to stay at home. If, if uh, <laughs> property isn't working for you and the devel- developers and some of the overcapacity industrial SOEs mm-hmm. in China, what is working? What would you like? Well, uh, uh, there, there, uh, there are three areas that uh, uh, I'll be looking at. One is, of, of course, we mentioned the uh, internet sector. The other one is environmental protection sector. Uh, and the third one is the medical sector. Uh, medical sector has always uh, uh, been supported by the government. And uh, 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 next, next month we will have the, uh, the, the two meetings, the two congresses, and they will announce some uh, measures to boost the medical sector. And this is a high-profit sector and worth, worth looking at. Of course, uh, with the high pollution in China, and everybody will be looking for some solution, whatever there is, and to, to, to try to clean up the pollution. And it will take a long, long time. You stay away from the banks? Uh, well, uh, uh, when you look at the overcapacity in in the major industries and and then the bubble in the property market, uh, you can tell uh, uh, they are not good bets. And how about Hong Kong? We saw mm-hmm. these earnings from HSBC disappointing. Mm-hmm. Uh, still, you know, making a lot of of profit, twenty two billion dollars, but yep. short of the twenty four and change that uh-huh. was expected. That's the bank right. paid a final dividend of nineteen cents a share. Um, you know, it was uh, it's it's still in cost cutting mode. Uh, that yeah. will, you know, that that if that goes on uh, quite a bit longer, they're going to be very profitable, I guess. Uh, um, what did you make of the overall picture for HSBC? Well, I think for cost cutting, they've been doing it for the last, uh, uh, four or five years. I think, I, I, I think they, 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 they have done what they, what they wanted so long. And, uh, uh, and the, the fact remains that cost to income ratio is still about 60%, much higher than the uh, 50% that uh, Citibank and JP Morgan. I think, I think the difference is that 
HSBC is basically a retail bank, commercial bank, while the American counterparts are investment banks mainly. So uh, HSBC will never match the income cost to income ratio of uh, major American banks. I think I, I think that that. that uh, they 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 have done what they could already, uh, and and the growth in the emerging markets slow last year because yeah. of the Fed. So this had rate. hurt them. Yeah. Yeah. What about the bonus pay, which is now just going to be called um, um, allowances instead? Uh, <laughs> the bank CEO Stuart Gulliver getting 1.7 million pounds of allowances on top of his 1.2 million pounds of salary. His total pay was up around 8 million pounds. That's up 26 percent from last year, and that happens at a time when the results disappointed investors. Yeah, I think I think shareholders will 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 want to raise question why why. Why is uh, Sol- uh, Sullivan being rewarded for poor performance? His cost to Gulliver, uh, yeah. Gulliver yeah. that's right. Uh, his his cost to income ratio has not matched uh, uh, his goal. And uh, but if you compare him with. Uh, uh, the American counterparts, I think he's underpaid for such a large bank. So I, th- I think that this is rationale. Okay, just a final comment. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, your single best investment idea of the moment, Francis. Uh, uh, I, will, uh, I, will, I will buy the PC online, which is listed in Hong Kong because of the uh, uh, acquisition fever in the, in the internet sector now. This is a good purchase target. Okay, Francis, thank you very much for joining us on Money for Nothing. Well, it's time now to say good morning to Andrew Sullivan, who is the Director of Sales Trading at Maybank Kimeng Securities. Andrew, good morning. Good morning. So we thought we might talk to you a little bit about um, housing in China, and we saw this ICBC note about uh, restricting some or tightening some of the financing for developers. There was a bit of a hit yesterday. We saw these prices come out in major cities. Previous guest, Francis uh, Lun, very negative on property in China. Where do you stand? Well, I think, I mean, I think again, it's, it's still a matter of looking at individual companies. The, the key here really, though, is, you know, I, Industrial Bank is probably one of the banks that knows most about property at the moment. And the fact that it's changing its credit limits or credit proposals, policies for the developers is going to be bad news. And it comes at a time when a lot of these smaller developers who maybe can't get the money from the banks have been using trust products to raise money. And again, we know that the problems are there and the trust products aren't as uh, available as before. So they're really getting squeezed on that side. And at the same time, the developers themselves, because they're short of money, are looking to try and move units, which means we're seeing price cuts coming in or extra discounts, just like we're seeing in Hong Kong. And, and obviously that's bad for investors because it just means the margins are getting squeezed. And do you believe that the next year will be so tough that it will flow through into the general Chinese economy and uh, if not a hard landing, it's just going to be a difficult year? Well, I think I think there's a potential for that. I mean, you, you have to offset that, though, with the fact that, you know, we're seeing wages rise in China. We're still seeing the fact that a lot of people want to buy their own homes. And certainly in some of the lower tier cities, there is still good demand as industry moves into those cities uh, and we see that wage growth come through. You know, just to talk about, um, you know, the current uh, situation, uh, as you look out this morning, I'm just looking over your notes this morning and nothing really jumps out at me. What are you focusing on the most uh, uh, today? Well, I think the, the key thing still for a lot of investors is going to be results. 
and, and, and we're not getting a lot of news flow because a lot of companies are in blackout ahead of the results. That's just something that the stock exchange insists on. And so when the results come out, people react, as you were saying, you know, HSBC, we saw that you know, the market settle down, uh, sell the stock because of the results, missed the estimations. Uh, and that's going to be the, the theme, really, for probably the next month. Uh, the other thing, I guess, is, you know, like yesterday, we saw uh, New Ocean Energy, which is a, a favorite stock of ours, um, being sold down on rumors of false accounting, which it's come out and denied. Uh, we did a conference call with them yesterday, uh, and I expect that people will take good stories and, and pullbacks like that as an opportunity to buy. So it, it's being very much opportunistic, I think, in the short term. What are the rules about pre-announcing? Uh, because HSBC... You know, it missed by $2 billion what the consensus estimate uh, figure was. Should they have told the market about that um, weeks ago? Well, no, I'm, I'm sure in the in the meetings that I mean they wouldn't have had any meetings with analysts within the last month. As you know, that's the normal rule. Um, any analyst that met them before, obviously, you know, the analyst will try and get a, a guidance from the from the company. But at the end of the day, companies, you know, unless it's going to be a significant move, and, and for Chinese companies that's generally over fifty percent, then no, there's no you know, no responsibility on the company. But they do try and guide the analysts in the meetings. We do have a lot of conflicting cross currents at the moment. Uh, some of the U.S. data has been weak of late, but the earnings have been really good. Uh, profits of S and P five hundred companies will be up between eight and ten percent. Revenue is only up 3%, but still, it's been a very good earnings season. You saw a pretty strong, um, was it the German IFO uh, index yesterday, meaning that the German economy is looking okay. How do you feel about the global economy at the moment? Well, as you, as you say, I mean, I think there's still a lot of hot, you know, crosswinds and headwinds to be faced there. You know, the data from the U.S., it could be weather-related, but it could be something more serious. Um, but we have a lot of flexibility, I think, in the from the central banks with regard to, to quantitative easing, um, whether they taper or not. So I think, generally speaking, none of the central bankers are really going to want to, to risk their economies over-slowing. So I, I think we're still going to see support there. But I think the the general recovery is still going to be a slow one. Uh, it's not going to be the fast pace that maybe we've seen in previous cycles. All right, Andrew, thanks very much for joining us here on Money for Nothing. And that is Andrew Sullivan from Maybank Kimming Securities. <laughs> We save the sexy discussion about prostitution uh, for last. And I'd like to say good morning now to Adam Minter, Shanghai correspondent for Bloomberg Worldview and author of Junkyard Planet. Good morning, Adam. Good morning. So there were some unintended, uh, unintended consequences of this crackdown on prostitution. And for people who missed this, uh, this was rather extraordinary. Uh, earlier this month, you had something like 6,000 police officers raiding businesses all throughout uh, Dongguan. This is a massive trade there, $8 billion uh, sex trade. They moved in, and it turns out that in the blogosphere that the netizens really sided with the prostitutes against the party. What are the implications of that, Mr. Minter? Well, it's it's a very interesting situation. Uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think that the uh, the government and, and Xi Jinping himself probably expected that there'd be cheering in the streets uh, after there was this con, uh, crackdown on, on prostitution in Dongguan, a trade that you know comprises by government estimates. 500,000 to 800,000 prostitutes in that town alone. But in fact, what we had was a big backlog, a backlash. And the backlash uh, was exemplified by a hashtag that started uh, floating around Sina Weibo 
that basically uh, in English you could translate as Dongguan hang in there. Hang in there. That is, you know, the, the users of Sina Weibo were saying, hey, you know, don't worry about these 6,000 cops going through the streets and cracking down on what might be your second largest industry. Hang in there. Um, why, why were, uh, you know, people in China so enthusiastically in support of the prostitutes? Well, I think it, it gets down to, you know, a lot of things on Sina Weibo and social media in China being metaphors. And they saw and they view currently uh, prostitutes in Dongguan as sort of a... Uh, a group that that is you know making an honest living in their their opinion, and you see a lot of this on Sina Weibo. You know, people saying that prostitutes in Dongguan make a more honest living than public officials. Uh, <laughs> people making an honest living, uh, you know, uh, being cracked down on by a corrupt government uh, that has better better problems to deal they're, with. So, they're, so they're, a, they're, they're working girls, as it were. They're working girls, and it's an honest living uh, in the eyes, at least, of the people who were uh, tweeting on Sina Weibo and, and based on my WeChat feed. So is there a feedback loop on this? I mean, will this rebound back on officials and the police? I don't think so, actually. I mean, what's been very interesting about this is, you know, Dongguan has always been sort of the capital of sex in China. Um, and so in a certain sense, if you're going to, you know, continue this vice crackdown that Xi Jinping has done, uh, you know, for the last year, I mean, I guess it was inevitable that you were going to end up in Dongguan at some point. But rather than actually, you know, uh, quiet down this crackdown in the, in the days and, and week following uh, the February 9th crackdown in Dongguan, they've actually widened the crackdown in process. And, and the Public Security Bureau in Beijing has actually asked the police departments in other cities to take similar action. Now, we haven't had reports on, you know, 6,000 cops sweeping down on, on you know, prostitutes in, say, uh, Harbin or even Shanghai, but, but there's no question that there have been accounts of, of the crackdown continuing. Um, and so in that sense, uh, there hasn't been, at least initially, any kind of feedback loop that says maybe cool this down, you're, you're not getting the positive impact that you thought you would. Yeah, none of us would probably condone prostitution, but but it is uh, a byproduct of um, you know the the way that the whole thing is set up. I mean, so many business people from all over the world come in and they spend a lot of time there. So it's just one of these things that probably will exist. Um, is the crackdown hurting business at all? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, there have been a number of reports coming out of Dongguan by both Chinese and uh, uh, foreign journalists saying that everyone from, you know, the tax drivers to the restaurants are hurting. Um, I mean, if it's an, you know, if you have an $8 billion industry in your town um, and somebody, the, the police decide suddenly that's it, we're going to shut down, it's going to have effects that echo, uh, you know, not just in your town, but, you know, across the region. Well, with uh, this, you know, will this strongly become a class thing, uh, given that, you know, most of the prostitutes would be coming from poor families, uh, probably from the rural areas, and a lot of these officials um, are sitting pretty, pretty. Yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly right. I mean, that's one of the tensions here is that you have these, you know, these rural migrants um, who are primarily the prostitutes in Dongguan essentially being cracked down upon by this class, which is in Beijing. And so that's been, uh, you know, a lot of the uh, thematic 
uh, tweeting, if you will, on Cena Weibo uh, that, that we've seen. And we see this in other issues as well. I mean, ultimately, you know, China is riven by a class divide, but uh, it's a funny class divide because it is between this professional bureaucratic class and uh, and this migrant class and and uh, and sort of the people sort of cheering it on are middle class users of things like Cena Weibo. So I think in a certain sense, this is, you know, this is the worst kind of metaphor to be floating around if you're the Communist Party up in Beijing. You don't want people noticing or at least saying that uh, Beijing is exacerbating this problem. But in this case, uh, with this uh, with this Dongguan prostitution crackdown, I think you could argue that they are. Adam, thank you. Thank you. Adam Minter, Shanghai correspondent for Bloomberg Worldview. So markets are pretty broadly higher this morning. We see very nice gains uh, in the Nikkei, up 1%, 148 points. Australia is higher, and so is Seoul. Uh, Brent uh, crude prices, $110.64. A little softer oil price, natural gas prices up. Yeah, I don't want to interrupt uh, telling you who we are. We are RTHK Radio 3. Just a final note, gold at $1,336.40. Another big jump for gold overnight. It's time for the latest in news, and here's Samantha Butler. Russia has issued its strongest response yet to the ousting of President Yanukovych in Ukraine, calling it a threat to Russian interests. The Russian prime minister said Ukraine's interim government had come to power through what he called an armed mutiny. In response, the Ukrainian ambassador to the United Nations, Yuri Sergeyev, said the vote by parliament to remove the president was legitimate. The parliamentary faction of the former president and opposition faction as well as non-factional parliamentarians reached an agreement on cooperation. Thus, the assertion that in Ukraine there was a coup is at least absurd. The American Defense Secretary Chuck Hagel has proposed a substantial cut in the size of the U.S. Army, which would make it the smallest since the Second World War. In a speech at the Pentagon, Mr. Hagel suggested a reduction from 520,000 active duty troops to no more than 450,000. Military bases would be closed and the number of aircraft and naval ships reduced. Mr. Hagel outlined the reasons for his decision. Our force structure and modernization recommendations are rooted in three realities. 